Check, we on back there? Check, check. All right, good deal. All right, hope everybody's doing well. We are, Jordan, what do you think? 90% done for, with Christmas shopping? We're getting there. We're doing pretty good this year. I hope you're uh, not losing your mind in Christmas season, um, but I hope you're, hope you're having a good time. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to be in Genesis. This is part 11. We're going to be in Genesis 6, verse 9, all the way through chapter 7. And the title of the passage today, the title of the sermon today is called Lessons from the Deluge. Theologian of all of old called the flood the deluge. So the title is Lessons from the Deluge. Let's pray, ask for the Lord's help, and, uh, and trust that He's going to give it. <clears throat> Father God, I thank You for this family that's here. Um, we're so grateful for Your grace to us. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and his family who was with him was saved. And Jesus, You came and you brought a family with you, and we, your family, have been saved because of our association with you. Thank you that you are not unwilling to come and be shoulder to shoulder with, with sinners, and call sinners to be your friends, to be your family. And thank you that we, because of your grace, get to be rescued from your wrath, that it's not coming our way. And God, may, may those who don't know you out there, may we be set on fire here this morning to tell them of the wrath to come, but tell them of the rescuer. Lord, set our hearts on fire to tell people about your grace. What we have experienced is not just for us, it's for other people. And so God, I pray that you would move us with compassion for those who don't know you, for family members, for friends. We're going to have people coming into our homes. We're going to be going into the homes of family and friends that um, we know that there are some of them that don't know you. And God, I pray that this season, this Christmas season, will be a time where we can talk to them about your grace. Where we can call them to escape the wrath that is to come. We can tell about the love of Jesus. That we can just tell, just tell them about your mercy. Give us those opportunities. I pray to more, this morning that you would help us. We want to receive everything that we can receive from you this morning. We trust that you're going to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We have three main points this morning, and we're going to cover a lot of ground, and this is kind of how it's going to be through the book of Genesis. There's going to be some weeks where, uh, like last week, we just cover about eight verses, but then there's going to be some weeks where we come, cover entire chapters at a time, and this is one of those weeks. We've got a chapter and a half to cover. I am going to read the whole thing, but first, I want to, like I did last week, give you the points, um, and so the points of this sermon today are the faith of Noah, that's number one, number two is the judgment of God, and number three is an ark named Jesus. The faith of Noah, the judgment of God, and an ark named Jesus. There's a lot of questions that are going to come up in your mind and maybe even may uh, be down deep down in your soul when we begin to think about the flood. Um, and uh, there was an image that I put on Facebook this week, and I, I didn't have it for you this morning, but the image was of Gustav Dore. I think I'm, I'm pronouncing it right. And it was Russ who originally told me about it. And I think we actually may have had a picture of this um, uh, of this scene at some point in the past, over the past year. But the scene is one where uh, everybody is at this high point and the water is coming rushing in and you can just see the, the, the heaviness of the flood and just the hopelessness of the flood because there's a baby in one arm and there's a family and then there's a tiger at the top of this rock and just the, the utter devastation that happened during the flood. And, and what can happen when you're thinking through that is, is really hard questions begin to, to, to surface. Of, of God, why, why was the flood the way it was? Why did it have to be? 
Um, and, and it brings up questions, I think, of God's judgment. And, and so we want to answer some questions today about God's judgment of, of what, our, what, is, what is our proper response to the judgment of God. So are we to, when we look at God's judgment, and then even in our world today, when we look at natural disasters, when we look at uh, the chaos that ensues in our world, uh, it wasn't just the flood as the only disaster, it was the only uh, judgment from God that destroyed the whole earth, but now we have things like earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have um, uh, what appeared to be just massive accidents where buildings collapse or people die. Uh, I was on, on the ground in Haiti right after the Haiti earthquake in 2009 or 10. And just a month after, and I drove by grave sites of 75,000 people. And the death count in Haiti, just around the Port-au-Prince area, was close to 400,000 people. Um, that's a lot of people to die. I mean, it's just unfathomable. I mean, you just can't even imagine. There were dump trucks full of bodies. And so when you think about the flood and people dying and the judgment of God, I think what happens is those questions begin to bubble to the surface. And so we're going to ask the questions and answer the questions from the, from the book of Genesis. Um, then we want to see what do the New Testament have to say about Noah and how does this, this message of the flood teach us and point us to Jesus. Calvary is the high point in which we can see the rest of the Bible in clarity. Okay? So before Calvary, before the work of Jesus, there was still so much that was blurry, even about the scriptures and the unveiling of Revelation through the years. And so now we have the high point of the cross and resurrection and the promise of Christ's return. As we turn our attention back, we have this vantage point of Calvary to look down from and to be able to interpret the things behind in light of. And so the Bible is going to say some things from the New Testament about Noah, and we should be good. It would be wise for us to learn from the New Testament authors that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. If they had an interpretation about the flood, if they had an interpretation about Noah and his life, then it would be wise of us to listen to those words, to listen to that interpretation from the New Testament. So we stand from Calvary, this vantage point, and we're able to see with clarity the lowlands around us and when it comes to the rest of the scriptures. So we always have to stand from that vantage point and keep that in mind. So first, we want to see the faith of Noah. But before that, I just want to read the entire section. So hang with me, and let's go back to when we were in Sunday school, when we were young men and women, young boys and girls. And if you're in here, um, and you're younger, for the younger ones, uh, just here for, for maybe the 15th time or the 20th time or maybe the 5th time of the story of the flood. This is starting in verse 9 of chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How would you like your name to be Ham, by the way? <laughs> now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring, bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all the flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall 
Come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons and wives with you, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be made male, or they shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in, and you will keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and its mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in the seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them went to the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean, of birds and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went to the ark with Noah as God has commanded, had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the earth ark, ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh, which were there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God has commanded them, had commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord continued, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we found out in verse 8 that while the world was going to die, the message that was preached from before the foundation of the world was going to continue and God's purposes that went beyond even the earth at that time, His purposes in Christ would continue and therefore Noah found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then we see this week the faith of Noah. There was all the world, all the existing world, and they all got the same declaration that they had done sin and they had done evil against God and everything within them was corrupt, even down to the heart level. 
as I said last week, you can look at the actions externally of people all around us and we can say, yeah, those actions are evil. But then we can't see the actions of the heart. So somebody could be doing a right thing externally, but internally be doing it for the wrong reasons. And God saw down to the deep motives of every single person that lived and He declared over them that they were evil and He was going to destroy them all. And then there was Noah. He was it. There was only Noah. Everyone else, the world walked one way, and Noah, the only man, walked this way. He walked with God. The world walked in the way they wanted to walk, and Noah was the only weirdo walking this way. Decade after decade after decade, as Noah and his family were were building this boat in a field, the ridicule must have come down upon him. It had never rained, and he was building a massive boat We would put somebody down in a mental home today if they did this right now. We we wonder, what are you doing? And here is Noah, decade after decade, faithful Noah, not sinless Noah, but faithful Noah, doing what God had commanded him to do. In fact, doing all that God commanded him to do. And we see that in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this, he did all that God had commanded him. In verse 5 of chapter 7, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. He was the only one walking with God. He was building a boat, and it had never rained. Now, I want to challenge you, because as we talk about Jesus being the hero of the Bible, often we miss opportunities to see God's work in the life of other people. And when it comes to you people in this room, okay, us in this room, you people, uh, there are many things that I can look at you and I can be thankful for. And I, I can, in, in the end, I don't want to be thankful for you only or for what's in you. I want to be thankful for God's work in you. But what we can do is we can honor one another. And a lot of times we miss opportunities to say, you know what, praise God for, for God's working in this man's life because there is much to honor about the way this person, this man or this woman is living their life. And if you have a, a mentor, if you have a friend, Um, that you know that has been walking with God for years and years, if you have a great-grandparent, or if you have a a dad or a mom who's walked with Jesus for years, it is a good and right thing to honor God's work in their life for for all those years. And here's what I want you to see about Noah. Noah, through the ridicule, still did what God commanded him to do. And we can learn a lot from this. We should learn a lot from this. In fact, I was reading an article on, uh, it was uh, by Pew Research, um, and they put out this uh, statistic if America had only 100 people, uh, and you can look online about the world, and you can see global statistics, and uh, if you just Google if the world only had 100 people, and you can find out like where, where you are on the scale of wealth. I think it's like if you make over $30,000 a year, uh, you're in the top 1% or something like that of richest people in the world. It's just kind of crazy to, to think about, but... Uh, if there was only 100 people in the United States, here's how the statistical breakdown, uh, in religiously speaking, begins to, to unfold. If America had 100 people, there would be two Jewish people, there would be one Muslim, and 71 professing Christians. And then other categories would make up the rest of the percentages. So in our country, out of 100 people, 71 of the, of the 100 people would claim to be Christians. Now, we have never experienced, I don't think, ever experienced being, being, being the only one amongst years of ridicule. You may have been bullied in school. You may have been, uh, been the bully in school, but, um, which Russ, he, Russ, let's be honest, he was tall. He probably was the bully. But um, 
you may have been the bully, but you may have been bullied in school, but most of you have never experienced ongoing ridicule and persecution year in, year out, being the only one who is what you are. And here is Noah, the only one who is walking with God. The New Testament has something to say about Noah. The author of Hebrews actually has something to say, and he actually gives an assessment of what was going on with Noah. Why was Noah so different than everybody else? How was it that he was the only one that was walking with God? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says this. Remember last week, we've already, we already found out that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did all that God commanded him. And keep in mind, and we're going to see this here in a few weeks, Noah was not perfect. He was not sinless. He was blameless in his generation. But that is not meant to mean, it is not, it is not meant for us to understand that to mean that he was sinless. Just right after the flood, he ended up being naked and hammered drunk. Okay, So uh, Noah was certainly not, not perfect. But Noah was a godly man. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says this, By faith Noah warned being warned by God concerning events that were yet unseen, and reverent and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he was commended to the world and became condemned. He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah had faith in Christ. He had received grace and he had faith. And this faith that he had in the coming promises of God, not knowing exactly what they were going to be. Gave him strength to obey God and walk with God even when nobody else was. Here's, here's the point. If you have faith in Christ, God has given you His Spirit within you. And we at work, we at school, you wherever you find yourself recreationally, you can be the one who walks with God. There's no amount of ridicule that we can face that would be equivalent of building an ark in the middle of a field and facing decade after decade after decade of just verbal assault, of of character assault, even if you're the only one in your workplace, even if you're the only one in your peer group, uh, by God's grace, if you have faith in Christ, you have the strength with the power of the Holy Spirit within you to live as a faithful witness where you are. And we need to learn from Noah in this way. There, how many of you growing up, or even in your, your workplace, have thought in your mind, boy, it's hard, it's hard to be a Christian influence in this place, whether it be on the basketball team for me where I was in high school, or where, whatever it may have been, hard to be a Christian witness. Okay, yeah, it may be hard, but if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, God has specifically put you in hard places, like Noah, to be faithful testimony of God's grace to that, that particular group and that particular people. And so we by God's grace, should be like Noah, should strive to be like Noah, to have faith no matter what anybody else says or no matter what anybody else does. By God's grace, we're going to be obedient to Jesus and we're going to follow Him. And that's the kind of resolve that I want within you, that I want within myself. No matter what, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm never going to give up. And in no way am I invalidating the grace of God. Paul said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. And now he had finished his course at the end of his life in, in 2 Timothy. And so that's our call. Don't quit. Don't give up. Fight the fight of faith and live as a faithful testimony of Jesus as Noah did in his day. So first is the faith of Noah. The faith of Noah. Even if nobody around you is walking with God, by God's grace, you be the man. You be the woman. You be the student that's walking with God. Second point is the wickedness of the earth and the judgment of God. 
Look with me at verse 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them all. You know, with the flood and with judgment, with disaster, as I said in the beginning, we can have questions. God, why? The tsunami uh, several years ago that hit um, in the Eastern Hemisphere, hit, uh, they made a movie about it, I, forget, I think it was Indonesia. Was it Indonesia? The tsunami hit. And Japan, hundreds of thousands of people died. Um, it just seems like utter chaos. And then we have a flood. God saying, I'm going to destroy the world. And we wonder why. And here's the Here's the question I want to ask to that is, why do we wonder why? Why do we wonder why? Well, here's the the questions that begin to be asked when we look at natural disasters, floods, hurricanes, you name it. When we look at the flood. Either man is good and God's character and judgment is bad, or humanity is bad and God's character and judgment is good. Let me say that again. Either man is good and God's character and judgment is bad or humanity is bad and God's character and judgment is good. When we look at the flood, when we consider this, the lesson that we want to receive is not that God's character and God's judgment is suspect, but what we should say is, yes, humanity was that bad. There was so much evil there that the good judge who has perfect character and he has perfect judgment judged that the right thing to do would be to destroy the people on earth. The human default position, unfortunately, is to believe and vigorously defend our own innocence. And then we judge God accordingly. If God does something or does not do something that falls in line with my judgment of humanity, then my judgment will will go away from humanity and toward God. Instead of looking at natural disasters, instead of looking at the flood, instead of looking at the cross and saying, wow, humans must be that sinful... We begin to question God's character. Is God really that good? Can He really be in charge? Is this right? Is God's action of the flood, is it correct? Did He do something right? And people have questions like that. Crazy. Um, I want to read an article. Um, This is from, I believe, about 2009 or 10. Yes, 2009. And I want you to, to follow the train of thought here with me. Because I think um, I think the more innocent the party that is sinned against, the more angry we are with those who sinned against it. And the natural drift of humans is always when bad things happen. Why does bad Why does bad things happen to good people? The the question goes to God. You're doing something wrong here you should be doing something good to those people, not something like that. You shouldn't allow it, you shouldn't do it, fill in the blank. So our frustration rises when we see perceived, when we have a perception of innocence, when the innocent party is sinned against, we are angry with those who sinned against that innocent party. Okay, let me read this. 
from 2009. Anna, Illinois, authorities have released the names of two victims of Monday's violent attack inside First Baptist Church of Anna. One victim had been identified as Mary Shepard, 69 years old, who serves as the church secretary and treasurer. The second is Leona Mount, 76, a cleaning woman of the church. Both were rushed to the hospital to receive care for the injuries. Authorities say the women were violently attacked and severely injured inside the church in the small southern Illinois community of Anna, Illinois. Police said someone broke into the Anna, uh, Anna Church between 2 and 4.15 p.m. and attacked the women. The church posted this message on their website. On Monday afternoon, September the 28th, two of our church employees were brutally attacked and beaten. Both ladies were taken immediately to a local hospital and then subsequently airlifted to the trauma center in St. Louis Francis Hospital of Cape Girardeau, Missouri. One of the ladies is still at St. Francis under observation in the ICU. The other lady was airlifted to St. Louis University Hospital and is awaiting surgery. Both are now stable and doing as well as can be expected. Check back for updates. Now, do you, does anybody remember that story? Okay. Remember how angry you were? So frustrated. Like, what? That is the scum of the earth. Anybody who could go in and beat up two old women to try to get some money from a church, that, that's got to be just the most deplorable person on earth. And, you know, I can... <laughs> I was angry. It just, justice begins to rise up inside of you because you have this perception of innocence. 79-year-old and a 76-year-old lady. And uh, some guy coming in and taking advantage and beating them, it, it is horrific. It is absolutely horrific. And that sense of justice, if we found out a judge let them off the hook, we would be irate. We would be absolutely irate. We, we want to say, man, I wish that guy could get strapped down, hands behind his back, and I wish our whole church here could just go and just grab our fist as tight as we could and punch them in the gut, punch them in the jaw, punch them you know where else, wherever else, and just, just put a beat down on these dudes or on this guy. Like We would just be enraged. Then you think about, look on the news. This morning I just did a quick Google search on uh, uh, crimes against children. Oh, man, it is just horrific. And that sense of justice, it just rises up. And anger and frustration, you turn on the news. Because when innocence is sinned against, we are furiously angry over those who are sinning against that, in, that innocence. Now, if, if you have a jerk boss somewhere, he or anybody else, and you hear of an employee punching that boss because they're a jerk, there's a part of you inside of you that's like, yeah, all right, they had it coming to them. You know? You're not as angry. Because the person that's sinning, the, the person being sinned against by being punched is not all that innocent. After all, they've got it coming to them. What goes around comes around, buddy. You know? And, and so we are angrier at those who are sinning against children or those who are sinning against the ladies in Anna than we would be the man or the woman who punched their jerk boss. Just wouldn't bother us. In fact, we'd almost want to give a high five. It's like Robin Hood, you know? Steal from the rich to give to the poor. It's like, everybody loves Robin Hood. You know, it's sin, but you know what? They, those rich folks, they had it coming to them. You know, give us some of that, you know, kind of thing. So here's our problem, I think. When we read about humanity, and God said, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them and the earth. When we look at judgment, our problem is we don't believe that God is that holy and innocent. And we don't believe our sin against Him is all that bad. The reality is God is that good. 
He is that innocent, and we have committed eternal treason against Him. And we just simply don't believe it. That's why when we see natural disaster, we wonder, God, why? Rather than, yeah, why not? Now, again, we're going to stand on a hill called Calvary and we're going to get some perspective and we're going to look from this side of the cross and we're going to hear what the New Testament has to say about some natural disasters. Because I think when we look at the flood, if we don't call for repentance for people, and if we aren't motivated for evangelism, then we're missing the boat here, literally, <laughs> pun intended. We're missing the boat. If we're, not, if we're not fueled to go out of here in this Christmas season, by this message, when we're about to be in the room with family members who don't know Jesus, if we are not fueled to say, you can be rescued, if we're not, fe- if we're not empowered to tell them, then there's something profoundly wrong with us. Because we cannot talk about the flood without feeling the gravity of it. Everybody drowned. They were beating on the door of the ark. Let us in, let us in, let us in. You aren't that crazy, Noah. And it was God Himself that sealed up the door. We have to be motivated to tell of the message. I want you to look at two places. Luke 17, 26-30. And we're going to see a comparison in the New Testament to where we are today with where they were during the flood. So Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be in Luke 13 here in a second. So we're going to be staying in Luke. Lessons from the flood. Title of the sermon. So here is the second lesson about the judgment of God. What is the proper response to God's judgment with the flood? And I think we can get some handles in Luke 17 and Luke 13. This is 26 starting in verse 26 in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, okay, so here's the New Testament telling us things that are about the days of Noah, so we need to tune our ears to what the Spirit is saying. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. You catch that? So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So we're, okay, there's some implications here for us, like there was in the day of Noah. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day in which Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the Son of Man is going to be revealed and God's judgment is coming. In the same way. And friends, if we know God's judgment is coming, not by way of flood, every time we see a rainbow, we remember the covenant God made with Noah that never again was the earth going to be destroyed by a flood. But if we know that there is a judgment like that coming, shouldn't it burden us to tell others about it? Shouldn't, shouldn't inside of us we get some names that begin to rise in our mind and we begin to pray and think about um, the people that we know that don't know Him or the people that you work for. That, that there's people that are dying and they're going to hell and then Christ is going to return. And if you're not in Christ, judgment's coming with Him. And so I think we should learn from the days of Noah and know that when Christ returns, judgment is coming with Him. Turn back a couple pages to Luke 13. And I want to broaden this out from a flood to any sort of natural disaster that happens in our world that we can't explain. 
that seems to be random. And I want you to see what Jesus tells the people to do. Chapter 13, verse 1. There are some present at the very time who told about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Shalom fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I want you to get this. News had begun to spread. The tabloids had all the information. CNN, whatever the other news stations are, ABC, Fox News, all this, came on in first century Jerusalem, and the tower of Shalom, Siloam, however you pronounce that, fell and killed 18 people. People were grieving. My neighbor lost his cousin in that tower fall, that crazy accident. And the news is beginning to report, and different pastors and different religious leaders are beginning to make comment about it. And here is Jesus, and he's giving his assessment of the situation. And he uses this tragedy to say this, hey, there was 18 who died. Do you think there were worse sinners than you? You need to repent or you will likewise perish. So every, I think this is saying, every, every accident, every what could be, whether we assess it true or not, judgment from God, as we look at the flood, it should be for us a way to herald to everyone around us, there's still time. There's still time. You're not dead yet. And before you perish, before Christ returns in judgment, repent of your sins, turn from your evil ways, and look to Jesus. Please repent. And the urgency you can hear even in Jesus' words, repent, you're going to perish. You may not die in a tower falling on you, but you're going to perish as well. You may not die in a flood, but if Christ returns and you're not in Him, you will receive eternal judgment. And so repent now while there's still time. So number one is the faith of Noah. Number two is the judgment of God. Number three is an ark named Jesus. Turn back to Genesis chapter 7. Verse 17 and 18 of chapter 7. Oh, I'm sorry, of chapter 6. 17 and 18. Behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth and destroy all flesh which is in the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But God, thank you. There's verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your son's wife with you. And then in verse, <clears throat> verse 16 of chapter 7, and those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God, has com- God had commanded them, and the Lord shut them in. Everyone would die except Noah and his family. Noah was counted righteous, and his family reaped the benefit of it. We have two examples of Christ here for us today. Noah's family was saved. Those who were associated with Noah would escape and be safe from the judgment of God. Noah points us to Jesus. Jesus had a family. At one point in the Gospels, there were a group of people that came to him and said, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus said, who are my brother and brothers? It's those who do the will of my Father. 
We in this room are Jesus' brothers and sisters. And like Noah, the family of the head, all the family gets to be safe and escape and be rescued by God. And for us, if you're in Christ, you're rescued from the wrath to come. The judgment of God comes upon Christ. If you're in Jesus' family, you get rescued. And then secondly, there's an ark. The ark points us to Christ. If you're in the ark, you're safe. Who shut the door of the ark? God. God shut the door of the ark. And this is God's way. He's always done this. He brings people in, and then God does this activity, and He seals up this ark. And if you are sealed in this ark, you are safe and secure from the dangerous waters outside. And if you are in Christ, you are safe and secure from all of Satan's arrows. You are safe and secure from all of the dangerous waters outside. If you are in Christ, you are safe and secure from all the wrath that is to come in the future. This is really, really good news for us. Um, In X-Men 2, that great theological movie, um, there's a scene where Jean Grey, I think I've told this before, but it's so powerful. There's a scene, if you remember Jean Grey, Logan and Jean, they kind of have a thing going on. Um, But then there's the love triangle with, was it Cyclops? Is that right? Okay. Um, And uh, Jean, to save the rest of the people, <clears throat> the, there's a, at the end of the movie, there's a dam, there's a water dam, and then there's the, uh, the airplane that all the X-Men fly in. They go from place to place, and it's probably got a name to it, but I don't know what it is. But uh, this dam, this water dam, was about to break, and it was going to come down over the X-Men 2 airplane. Okay. Well, what does Jean Grey do? Jean Grey steps outside, and she steps in front of the airplane, and in the way of in the way of the water, the dam that's about to break. And then when the dam breaks, she does her powerful ex-woman thing, and all the water gets diverted around, and she takes the brunt of all this and diverts all this water around this plane. The plane is able to raise up and go off, and then Jean Grey dies. And friends, literally, if you are in Christ, okay, he is the proverbial, proverbial and way better Jean Grey stepping in front of the wrath of God that we can be safe and secure inside of him. And this is powerfully good news for us. It's news that is powerful. And so the ark points us to Christ. Um, We have two responses then. The response for the non-Christian and then the response for the Christian. So first, for the non-Christian. And this is what we need to be thinking about for our non-Christian friends. Um, God is patient with us. Uh, God is patient. And He is still waiting Waiting till the exact right time. As Christ came in accordance with the Scripture, there's going to be a day and only the Father knows He's going to come back at just the right time and He's going to come back and He's going to rescue His bride. And He's waiting for His bride to be complete and full. And there are people out there in the world that are part of His bride and they don't know it yet and He is patiently waiting for the time in which they're included in the fold. And so for us, it's our responsibility to let people know, the non-Christians, that God is being patient and there is still time to repent and to be found in Christ. And for the, another point for the non-Christian is look at the tragedy of the world and think when we see tragedies, when we see heartbreak, when we see sin, and when we see just awful, terrible things, the non-Christian can think, whoa, I deserve that, but instead God is allowing me time to turn for myself and trust in Him. Well, I deserve that. But God is patiently waiting and He is being kind to me and I have time to turn and trust in Him. But for the Christian, we have a couple other responses, I think. is One, uh, we need to know that God saved us from the fury of His righteous wrath. God really was that good. He really is that good. And we really are 
that evil that we would commit high eternal treason against Him. So much more. He is so much more innocent, so much more holy than those little old ladies down at First Baptist Anna. So much more. He is more innocent and holy than a little baby that we see. And we killed Him. And God, the very one we sinned against, the very one we sinned against, came for us. Jesus came to do this. He was born to die. He was born to die in your place. He is the ark by which we have been saved. He is the true and faithful Noah. And this morning we can be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for, uh, for Your work on our behalf. Uh, there's so much in this flood story that I missed. There's maybe 1% of what's there that I covered. But Lord Jesus, I thank You for Noah. I thank You for having grace upon him. Thank You for giving him strength to be faithful in his generation. May that be the case with us. And then with your judgment, God, as we look at the flood, as we look at things that happen in our world, help us to use those as opportunities to say, you know what, as those people died, there's going to be a day of death for you. And while you're alive, there's time to repent and to trust in Jesus. And then Jesus, thank you for being our faithful Noah and the faithful ark, that we can be sealed inside of you. As that door was closed, somehow or another, you sealed it up in a way that water didn't get in. And we too have been sealed with the Spirit. And nothing can pry us out of your strong and loving hands. And we thank you for your grace. Lead us today. I trust that you're going to. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.